Hello, dear listeners. Just wanted to say that if you are a patron, do make sure you're listening to this episode of The After Show via the Patreon app or the Patreon RSS feed, which you can now also connect to your Spotify, apparently, because the full episode is not available on the main feed. The After Show is a Patreon-exclusive project where I get to chat with all sorts of very interesting people from around the world who are also patrons of the show. This was a particularly fascinating conversation, I thought, since things, at least from an outsider's perspective, seem to be quite absurd in Germany currently, especially surrounding the topic of Palestine and Israel. There are several aspects at play with the history and identity and nationalism, and if you're interested in this topic, do consider becoming a patron of the show. You'll not only help support it, but you'll have access to a bunch of Patreon exclusive Content too. I'm sometimes labeling it, uh, you know, like a, a country of Karens. Hello, hello. Welcome to the after show. A brand spanking new series. Patreon exclusive. Brought to you by Polite Conversations. By Polite Conversations. This is where I'm hoping to get to know you a little better, dear patrons. This will be the place to come hang out for a casual chat. Let's talk about all things, woking up and polite conversations and Twitter spaces and whatever else you'd like to discuss. More content, more conversations, more fun, and even more rationality. What influence does Netanyahu have in practical terms on on Germany? Zero, right? Mm -hmm. There's barely any meaningful trade between Germany and and Israel that matters at all. So in every other constellation of countries, there wouldn't be any influence. So again, this is Germans deciding to act in a way that suits their own preferences. Has nothing to do with greater morality, has nothing to do with Israel, has nothing to do with Palestinians. There's, as, uh, exactly. Like, of course, um, our central committee, our Jewish central committee, we have like these central committees for uh, religious communities, which are not really official institutions, but are often treated that way. It staunchly supports Zionism, for sure, but I wouldn't overestimate them as significantly influential, even if the whole committee would, would be anti-Zionist or more critical towards Israel. Germany's stance on that issue wouldn't change. It's exactly the same same as in the, not exactly the same, but it's comparable to the situation in the United States, where many right-wingers will use Israel as like uh, a a proof, quote-unquote, that the Jews run everything, when in reality, the most Zionists in the United States are Christians. Right. And this is exactly the case here. We have so-called anti-Semitism commissioners in some of our federal states, basically watchdogs, singular watchdog people, to find and label and call out anti-Semitism, all of them staunchly pro-Israel, none of them Jewish. <laughs> like, it's, uh, they, are, they are all, so, I, think, I think one person converted, but that's pretty much it. So yeah, this, this show, as in the United States, this show is run by the uh, non-Jewish establishment in, in a political and media establishment here, and has nothing to do with a with a Jewish influence in, in that regard. There's also an economic reason, of course. 
Germany is an arms trader, quite an important arms trader, of course. We sell weapons. We sell weapons to to terrible regimes around the globe, and we also sell weapons to Israel. I think in the first month of the war, um, Rheinmetall stock went up like I think three hundred percent or something like that. Like they That's are the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Amazing. Yeah. So. To your point about uh, how they view Palestinians as Nazis, I posted something on Blue Sky, which tends to be uh, a lot less fashy and more lefty than Twitter is nowadays. Twitter is just a hellhole. It was like a screenshot of someone tweeting about, they said, today Germany's biggest non-tabloid newspaper founded by anti-fascists in 1945, published an op-ed suggesting that wearing a keffiyeh is comparable to donning a Nazi uniform. And they were quoting an article from, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Süddeutsch? Süddeutsche Zeitung, one of the most important independent broadsheets in Germany. I, I, no, 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 sorry, Die Zeit is independent. Deutsche Zeitung is just a really massively important daily broadsheet. Right. Yes. And they're not real right wing. No, no, not at all. No, run right like, of the mill, right of the mill. Yeah. They are considered yeah. A, a rather center-left-leaning, like left-liberal-leaning uh, newspaper. Um, but yeah, this is something you will you will also see in, um, which, which you will see in, in these kind of newspapers. And what about Welt? Welt is, is Springer. So yeah. this is this is this is the this is the main horse in their stable. Okay. So Welt, Welt and Bild are Springer uh, are Springer uh, newspapers. So of course they are completely they are right wing. They are self-proclaimed liberal right, but still right wing conservative. Okay. So I had another screenshot from from Welt that said Free Palestine is the new Heil Hitler. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> oh yeah. I mean that just shows you that. It's pretty across the spectrum, right? If the more run-of-the-mill liberal paper is saying wearing a keffiyeh is like, you know, donning a Nazi uniform, and then yeah. the right-wing paper is saying, oh, Free Palestine is a new Heil Hitler, and it has these this picture of, like, these two guys with microphones, and someone t tweets under, or I don't know what you call it on Blue Sky, but let's call it tweet. Someone tweets underneath it saying that the guy on the right gives talks in German schools. I mean, that's really worrying. The guy on the left is um, is Matthias Döpfner, which is the CEO of Springer. Okay. So um, this, this, this is the guy who runs the show. <laughs> right. Edit this out, but if you look at Döpfner and his history, he's, he's a run of the German oligarchic scumbag. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this post of mine, you know, got a lot of, well, a lot for Blue Sky um, retweets, and I guess that's why I got a lot of responses underneath. And I got a bunch of, like, very defensive German people, and <laughs> that was really interesting because it was, uh, like, catching me off guard a little bit. I came across this, like, very IDW seeming, like, German historian. And he was very defensive, and he was like, he was like, well, I'm not defensive. Why are you singling Germany out for this? And that's not any different than what's happening in the the takes that are happening in the rest of the world. Was defensive. I get it. Yes. 
Oh, yeah. So it's, 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 yeah, this again. <laughs> and then he was like, uh, you know, the media isn't exactly unified in Germany. There's different kinds of opinions. Why are you singling these ones out? And he was, <laughs> he was also saying that by pointing specifically to Germany, these like, you know, these straw man version of leftists that he was upset at, they would be ignoring the rise of an increasingly internationalist proto-fascist movement. Why are you singling Germany out? And it's like, no. Um, oh. Yeah, this is this is like this is like it again. We we, we recently, as um, as Klaus has mentioned at the beginning, we recently had had like like these marches against the AfD and so on, which like we we will unite all against fascism and we will fight it back and yada yada yada. Um, and but still we will we will repeat uh, racist talking points regarding Muslim immigrants and Palestinians in particular if it comes to that topic. What's particularly interesting is saying that you know this is just like what's what's being said in other countries why single Germany out is that they don't seem to want to grapple with the idea that Germany is a very unique situation to be put like specifically Germany saying these kinds of things. We are not just any country. We are one of the richest and most powerful and influential countries on the planet. And yes. also the original Nazis, right? So exactly like we should we should, first of all we should know better. I, I, I agree with you. Semitism. So to, I, to compare like people wearing kefirs to Nazi uniforms is just but, but a, it's a relativization. It's a relativization of the past. Yeah, it's grotesque. So yeah, it's truly grotesque, especially as Palestinians are just being treated so inhumanely right in front of our eyes. Like I don't think I've ever seen. I don't want to call it a conflict, but I, because it's not. It's not two sides. It's just one group of people that are just being slaughtered. I've never seen this kind of thing documented and so like like every day we're seeing these horrific images at what point does your conscience speak to you and say that this this case you you you're missing the important point it's not about what's happening there sure but we're, like okay but we're all human and we're all seeing the same image we forgot already about Ukraine, right? Ukraine was the thing, and everybody was bravely yeah. protesting the Russian invasion here in Germany, and there were organized protests, and it was all very brave and, and, and wonderful. And now comes the Israeli conflict. It's like, do we actually care about any of these things? And this is just a very cynical take of mine. We care about what we want to care. We pay attention to what we want to pay attention to. When the Ukrainian refugees came to Germany, there was open arms, and nobody said anything. Yeah. When the came, uh, it was, oh my God, how yeah. can we afford this? It's never about the issue it is about. It is always about something else. And the something else is how do we portray ourselves to ourselves in the best possible light? So um, I want to say something which maybe gives a little bit of context here and which is a more of an historic context. Maybe, maybe John can add something to this. There's another paradox which is not really known to the broader 
for international audience and also not really known to many Germans nowadays to this. When we started in the 60s and the 70s to when, when the broader population in Germany had questions regarding the Holocaust and how could it happen and why did it happen, specifically the left uh, failed to give like really sufficient answers to it. And um, there was something which is called the Historikerstreit, uh, yes. this, this historian argument with one of the historians, Neute, uh, basically echoing a relativation of the Holocaust, saying it was a defensive mechanism against the alleged rise. Uh, it was acted as a false defense against uh, the fear of rising Bolshevism and so on, which he back then assumed would be fine to say that because the established politics in Western Germany was, of course, anti-communism. But, of course, this this argument, while being also historically wrong and a relativation, was also not really sufficient to explain how it happened. And uh, many people were not content with this explanation. And Habermas came up with this singularity narrative. And this is something which sticks until this day. Anti-Semitism and the Holocaust are comparable to nothing ever. Yeah, it's it's unique in all matters of sense. And since, as I said earlier, since the, the, the Jews are our internal victims, everything also related to Israel is unique and not. So um, this is the this is the paradox here. It's unique when. It's complex and unique and and weird when Israel does something, but uh, the moment it goes against, we were talking about aggressions against Israel, like for the, for the face of terrorism, then it's an aggression against the Jews, which we have a framework for, which is our framework, German-centric framework of of neo uh, of national socialism, and mm-hmm. um, and, and this is like. Uh, same with the Holocaust in particular. Nothing is being allowed to compare to the Holocaust. Even other genocides are not, which from an historian perspective is just nonsensical. Of course, there's something terribly unique about it, this industrial way to uh, to, to murder six million people. But it's not. it didn't emerge in a vacuum. And of course, as an historian, you have to uh, compare it to other cases, to other genocides. The Nazis were, of course, inspired by methods from, for example, the colonial context or from the Armenian genocide. But this is not the way we talk about it. For us, it's based on Habermas. It's all unique. It's uh, Nothing ever will happen again. And if it happens again, then it happens to the Jewish people. And therefore, the only role Hamas or Palestinian militias or Palestinians in general are allowed to play in this are the new Nazis. And this is also kind of soothing for us because we are striving, desperately searching for a way to get the label of the perpetrator away from us. And that's and the best way is to find a new perpetrator. And and we have found them in, for example, now in in the face of uh, of Hamas. However. What especially our more left-leaning, liberal-leaning supporters of Israel are afraid of are labels which all of a sudden bring the whole situation to a different framework, like apartheid or settler colonialism, because this, of course, changes everything. If you start to view it as, in my opinion, it's the only real way to do it, to see it as a situation of settler colonialism, as Rhodesia, as French Algeria, South Africa, and so on, Everything changes and this whole narrative starts to fall apart. That's why they so vigorously go go against these terms, go against apartheid and, and against settler colonialism and, and, and these narratives, even 
Did they have more? There's more attention towards this alleged anti-Semitism using these kind of terms than towards the classic anti-Semitism, which still exists and is still vibrant. But we can all kind of narrow it down to as what Klaus is, is, is saying, it's enormously self-centered. It's about our role. One one story to this. Um, there's this one like central liberal progressive kind of journalist in Germany who himself is the child of um, Tamil refugees from Sri Lanka. And to also echoed like this narrative about uh, um, this is all like bombardment of Dresden and so on and blah blah blah. And I, I posted and I said like I like if you would just want for once in your life compare Palestinian history to your own Tamil family history, you would probably find more similarities than comparing them to goddamn Schlesian or or or, or, or some bullshit like that. It's just a context of uh, of of just ethno nationalism and uh, yeah. and having a and having a, a, a separatist movement and uh, fighting for self determination which is not a unique conflict it's not a unique sense we have seen this so many times in, in other historic cases also in regards to violence like uh, anti colonial vi- violence wasn't wasn't always tame and in many cases should was also worth condemnable the uh, the uh, FLN, the Front Libération Nationale in Algeria, have committed atrocities, which everything pales from October 7th pales beyond that. Um, and we can still say this was terrible, this was not, not justified, even in a just cause of anti-colonialism, but we will still not lose the, the framework of colonialism in this. But in the German debate, it has to remain that this has nothing to do with all of these things, that this is completely detached to this, that this is only the Jewish state, the, the consequence of the Holocaust, our happy ending, our precious place where, he, where we have brought our victims, and now our victims are being attacked by their new enemies, and our best way to clean our image is not to support the new Nazis, the new enemies of the Jews, which in the in the in the words of Karl Lagerfeld are the Arabs and the Muslims and, and all these terrible people from there. So this is this is the thing we roll now with. But we're now at the point where they are trying to prevent people like Masha Gessen, like a descendant of Holocaust survivors, from getting a prize that is honoring a survivor? Yeah, the, the thing is, these stories don't make it in our main media. This is not something you see at the uh, Heute Show or the Tagesschau. This is not something you will read in the Welt. This is not something we'll read about in the Bild Zeitung. Um, Germans consume a very limited number of news resources on a daily basis. And the you know what everybody's talking about in Germany if you see the headline of the Bild Zeitung at the bakery in the morning. But to some extent, we all share the same social media, right? So everyone is seeing, like a lot of people are seeing what's happening. There was an interesting video, I should send it to you just because it was so cool, about how Germans watch news and how Americans watch news. Um, news is far more organized and structured in Germany and far more ritualistic in terms of how we consume it. Uh, you get your news from three or four sources. Mm-hmm. That's it. These are the sources. It's ARD and ZDF. 
It's the whatever rag the Springer flag offers or some of the other things, but they all sing the same tune. The Overton window in Germany on certain topics is extremely narrow. Let right, me put it this right, way. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. As I'm listening to this uh, conversation play, I also wonder, too, if the reunification of Germany has made it harder to be pro-Palestinian. Because like, those uh, papers you were uh, screenshotting and talking about, I'm trying to imagine that being published in the 1990s, I think that would be out, you know, the Germans would have found that outrageous, that at least in the circles I ran in, in university circles. And I think in West Germany, like it was more mainstream to be pro-Palestinian more than it is now. And I'm wondering if the reunification of Germany has made, you know, this neurosis even worse and mm. causing these perver perversions, you know. Oh, okay, I, so, I see what you're getting at. The traditional link between left-wing, pro-Palestinian, and pro-Soviet Union, and conservative, anti-Soviet Union, anti-Palestinian dynamic, because everything would slot very nicely in the East-West dynamic, right? So it was a far more... Yeah, I mean, even in the early 90s, that still was holding over, you know, in, yeah. stuff, in the Germany that I was living in, so... But I so, think we uh, are seeing, like, a bunch of university students getting very vocal about it, but getting, you know, shut shut down at every... Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a funny saying, the published opinion is not the public opinion. Yes, as I said earlier, it's, it's a wrong assumption to assume that the pro-Israel left in Germany is like the majority. Right. They are not insignificant. Of course not. They they have influence and they have certain bastions, certain scenes in certain cities which they dominate. But generally speaking, no. They are they are, they are just as much any uh, uh, any lefted, or not just as much, but there's also, of course, the, I would say the majority still kind of understands that Israel is uh, is committing apartheid and is committing crimes and that the Palestinians are an occupied population. But this is fighting against the political establishment. And to John's question is, um, so the thing is, for West German leftists, originally, from the hard left, in, historically in West Germany was, of course, anti-communist and anti-Soviet Union in, this in particular. And, and, and so the German scene in Western Germany back then only happened like in... Um, within the university circles, like the traditional uh, communist scene in this sense only happened in university circles. Uh, the KPD was banned and, 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 uh, and all of these things. And East Germany was in line with Moscow, which uh, for most of the time was um, more favoring towards Palestinians. So what you had uh, there were like the traditional leftists who were uh, enormously supportive of it. Uh, the tone kind of changed with the Second Intifada and after the reunification, because there was also the desire to find a socialism and something left-leaning which was um, detached from the Soviet Union. And some leftists uh, and also some social democrats found this in labor Zionism. So they this was this is by the way not new. This existed there was like a, a renaissance of this because um, after the Second World War many leftists not just in Germany but uh, around Europe 
actually perceived Israel as like a way to practice a form of socialism which has nothing to do with uh, with Moscow. Which of course it turned out this is not how it how it went on. It's a capitalist neoliberal uh, state like most other Western states. Um, but back then this was quite en vogue, so to say, and um, it kind of had a, a sort of a renaissance after the reunification um, that people were upset with like Labour Zionism and David Ben-Gurion and Golda Meir and, and all of this as an alternative to, to Moscow socialism. Um, but yeah, it, regarding the the media establishment in Western Germany or the political establishment, it kind of always favored this. There was even, I, I saw in 1967, when the war broke out, where Israel captured uh, uh, the West Bank and the Sinai and uh, Jerusalem, uh, the Bilds, uh, our tabloid, who is also owned by Springer, actually titled, and this is no joke, Moshe Dayan, like the uh, defense minister and uh, of Israel at the time, Israel's Rommel, in a positive way. They, 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 they meant it positively. It was meant as a compliment. Um, but of course, Rommel, being like the desert fox, was a, a accomplished, quote-unquote, German general, Nazi general. That is, mm. yeah. So, so this is like the kind of remembrance culture which which existed back then. It's weird on on many levels. But what you're asking about, like, um, Jewish people, as I said, like, so anti-Zionist Jews are just self-hating Jews. It's it's just as um, and even like Holocaust survivors or descendants of Holocaust survivors, they're getting shut down too. Like that's let, the point. Let me, let me give you. Let me give you a neat little story. And uh, there was one really famous Holocaust survivor here in Germany who was really active also in regards to anti-Semitism. She went to schools to teach children, which was Esther Bejarano. Now, she died, I think, two years ago. And all of Germany, all the media outlets, all the politicians were crying crocodile tears for this woman. So um, this was a really admirable woman who, um, after the war, went to Israel for, for some time. I think it was still, she still went to mandatory Palestine even. And she remained there for some years with her husband and then she left. And she left. She gave an interview to Electronic Intifada explaining, like, first of all, giving an interview to Electronic Intifada is, is a statement, but explaining why she left, uh, which is um, because she opposed the war. She was always, her and her husband were always anti-war, and they opposed Israel's wars, and they also recognized the, the mistreatment of Palestinians. And since they were all, both of them were staunch leftist socialists, they could not identify anymore with the place. And... She even made like the um, the extreme decision to return to Germany, which was um, which was certainly an extreme decision. Mm -hmm. And she later in her life, she also supported BDS uh, mm -hmm. publicly. However, in all the media debates and all the media depictions about her, you will see really few mentions of this. It's it's like they pretend they wouldn't know about it. There was even like. In her Wikipedia article, in a German Wikipedia article, you can see how the article has been changed throughout the years. At one time, for many, for, for a significant amount of time, it was only labeled the reason why she left Israel with her husband was because she couldn't bear the weather. Um, oh, wow. Like, which is something she mentioned. In fact, she mentioned it 
in a side note like and by the way i could never really adjust to the weather like and and they the picket is like this is the reason why she left um because germany is afraid of these people this is also what we have a case right now about this of a holocaust survivor who basically did exactly the same uh, or does exactly the same going to schools and teaching about it she was photographed i think she lives most of the time in um in the US and she has like she was protesting in front of the White House to end the genocide for a ceasefire and so on. She uh, Democracy Now has I think two days ago yeah. uh, had an had an interview with her, right? I posted like to, today morning, I posted a tweet where, where I said, like, how is this possible that there is no major media outlet in Germany even mentioning this? Mm-hmm. If if in any other context, there would be a case where a Holocaust survivor is being censored and uninvited by a school in Germany, this would be a nationwide scandal. But the moment it relates in some shape or form to Palestinian interests or against Israel in that sense, then it's hush hush. Then, like we pretend we wouldn't know. Access this brand new Patreon exclusive series by becoming a patron today. <laughs>